Women Taking the Lead, Episode 70. Your career path is much longer than you think, and no decision you make is irrevocable. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn, and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to get the solutions to your top five leadership challenges. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Ellen Broughton, who is the Associate Director of the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at Mass General Hospital, the Director of the Learning and Emotional Assessment Program, also at Mass General, and an Assistant Professor of Psychology at Harvard Medical School. She earned her PhD in psychology from Colorado State University, has published four books, and is an educational leader and advocate for mental health. Wow, Ellen, I'm excited to be talking to you, but share a little bit more about yourself and your personal background. Sure. Well, as you noted, I work in an academic medical setting. Uh, I'm a psychologist at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. And most of the people I work with are actually quite different from me, or they they got here on a a very different path. Um, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, and I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist, but that wasn't really a great career choice for a woman in those days. And I'm sort of dating myself, I guess, when I'm saying this, but back in those sort of the late 1970s or an early 80s when I was in college. Um, And I I kind of thought if I'm getting the opportunity to go to college, which is something my mother didn't get to do at the time, I better choose a job where, or better choose a, a major where I would have a job when I was done. So I chose the field of special education because it was close to psychology and the jobs were plentiful. And I went to school in Wisconsin, at the University of Wisconsin, I got married, and right out out of college, moved to Houston and worked in the field of special ed for a while, all the time trying to figure out how to get to graduate school. And like I said, a lot of the people that that I work with uh, did that quite easily, or at least it seems that way to me. Um, I wasn't even sure what I wanted to major in. So there I was in my early 20s and mid-20s trying to figure out, do I want to be a college professor in special education or psychology or, and even within psychology, do I want to be a clinical psychologist, a developmental psychologist? And so all the time, all the while that I was trying to figure this out, I was living a life. Um, I had my first child when I was 28. And it wasn't until I became a mother that I realized, gee, I I really better figure out this question, if nothing else, but to be a good example for my daughter. And so I started back to school soon after she was about a year and a half. So I was about 30 when I went back to graduate school. And I was in a master's program in clinical psychology. And almost immediately after starting that program, I realized, oh, I really want to get a PhD. And I had a wonderful mentor at the time who gave me opportunities and I took them. And I think that's one theme in my journey is that I've had great mentorship and I've taken them up on all the opportunities that they've given me. Um, He did things like, you know, he would see an article that I wrote for class and told me to submit it for publication or submit it for a a possible award. and And all of those things actually came to fruition for me. So I I then applied to PhD programs. And uh, within the first week of starting my PhD program, I found out I was pregnant, which was a very welcome thing. But it was still something that I needed to juggle. So here I was in 
first year of PhD program. I finished my master's program with one child, another one on the way. Uh, my son was born at the end of the first year of my PhD program. And then I spent the second year sort of managing daycare and classes and research. And it was a very busy time of my life. And in clinical psychology, we uh, have to do what's called an internship at the end of our training. So we have to do a dissertation, but then we also have to do a year-long internship, very much like a residency in or an internship and in, in residency in medicine. And so I was poised, I finished all my coursework. I was poised to apply in the fall for the next year's internship class. And everything was going according to plan until right about the time I was applying to school, I actually was diagnosed with um, cancer, uh, melanoma, and it totally threw me for a loop. It was this was a long time ago, so I'm fine now, but it, it really kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I was planning at the time to just apply. I was in Colorado at the time, I went to school in Colorado, as you said, and I was planning at the time to just apply for internships locally. And when I went through this, I had to go through some treatment and I decided to wait a year before applying for internship. And when I did that, the next year, the next fall, I decided, why not? I'm just going to apply to all the best schools. And what's the worst that can happen? I don't get in. I mean, that's not that's really not the worst that could happen in life. They could just tell me I'm not I, I'm you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not good enough. And. Luckily, the place that I applied, uh, one of the places I applied, Harvard Medical School, which is one of the better places in the country, I was accepted. It was just one of those serendipitous things, and I was very, very lucky. So I came here 18 years ago for my internship. I stayed and did a postdoctoral fellowship, and then here I am. I, so I've just sort of made the most of, of what I could do while I was here. So that's sort of my story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That is an amazing story, Ellen. And there's so many parts of your story I want to tease out. In one, like right off the bat, I love how you shared that you didn't really know what you wanted to do. So you went after something where you knew you'd end up with a job or that you could get paid for. It. And I think that's the situation for a lot of people. You know, there's this expectation that we'll have it all figured out, you know, by the time we have to declare a major as an undergrad. But the reality is most of us don't figure it out until we're out in the world and we've done some work, we've applied the degree we've earned, or we've been doing some jobs. And, you know, you and you had said it wasn't until you were in your um, master's program for clinical psychology that you realize, okay, I want to go all the way with this. I want to get my PhD. And, you know, what you did to achieve that, I mean, finding out you were pregnant in the first, you know, first, Mm -hmm. like right when you're starting first year of the program, just as it's getting started, how did how did you make that happen? What what practices did you put in place or support did you reach out for that helped you to juggle all of that? Oh, that's such a good question. And I wish I had a perfect answer. I think um, I relied on friends. I had, you know, a, a husband at the time who was very supportive. Um, I had a great mentor in my advisor at Colorado State University. And he basically said to me, tell me what you need in order to be able to do this. I don't want you, you know, his fear was, oh my gosh, you're, I'm going, you know, he was worried I was going to drop out of the program, which was never a consideration for me. But he just said, what do you need to do? And so I had to think about that. And I think that as women, we're not always 
trained to think about what it is we need to do at that time. And we're always, I was afraid at least that he would think less of me if I said, oh, I, I can do this, but I can only do it half time for this particular year. So that was one thing. I did cut back a bit. I had a fellowship and I said, I, I can do it in, you know, I could, instead of working 20 hours a week in the fellowship, is it possible for me to do 10? And he said, yes. And it actually worked out better. So I think um, sort of trying to figure out how to, um, I don't know, looking at looking at the, the week that you have, the month that you have, the year that you have with a baby, uh, and really thinking, okay, what it, what is it that I can all fit in? And then asking for it. And if, if the answer is no, then sort of figuring out, okay, then what will work? So I, I think all of those things are, are ways that I did it. And then part of it is kind of figuring out as you go. I also think you sort of mentioned that, that it's really, it, it always looks so easy in retrospect that, oh my gosh, you must know exactly what you wanted to do when you got there. And really, it you really don't. You really have to be self-aware enough to sort of figure out, okay, this part's working, but this part isn't, and be able to say that. Yes, I completely agree. You know, really knowing yourself and how you're responding to what's going on around you and the information you're taking in, knowing what lights you up and what turns you off is really key. Yes. Um, and you brought up another point, which I wanted to talk about as well, is you really leveraged your mentors, which I don't think we do enough sometimes. Like people offer us help, but we don't always take it. Um, but you went a different path and that's really worked for you. It really has worked for me. And, and I, I, I actually, it's not until you really look in retrospect, how much, how, how essential it is to rely on them. And, and I also think sometimes we, and this wasn't the case in my case, I feel like my mentors have been absolutely perfect, but they're not always perfect. And I think that sometimes we, I was just very fortunate, but I think sometimes we look for perfection in a mentor and we, and so we discount things that they do or say. And I think that's something that we have to use what it is, you know, what, what's there for us. And um, yeah, I, I think mentorship is, is absolutely important and taking them, listening their, to their suggestions and taking advantage of every opportunity they give you or really consciously saying this is an opportunity I, I can't do. Mm, and it goes back again to being aware of what can they offer me? You know, what information or wisdom do they have to share? And, and being okay with that, you know, people aren't perfect, right. but they do have something to offer. Yes. Oh, Alan. Yes. They, they, they're in that position for a reason. They got there for a reason. And, and oftentimes they ha still have a lot to teach you. Absolutely. Wow, Ellen, you've definitely had success in your life. I mean, look at where you are now. That is so great. And you've gained a lot of confidence. But take us back to a time when you may have undervalued yourself. I call it the playing small moments um, where you and you may not have been aware that you were undervaluing, you know, your potential at the time. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. So I think th this is a good question. I think um, about Seven years, a little over, well, now it's going on eight years ago, I was asked to start a new program at Massachusetts General Hospital uh, called the Learning and Emotional Assessment Program. It's a program where we assess children who have a broad range of issues from ADHD to uh, learning disabilities to autism spectrum disorders. And it, it's a very, very busy practice in a very busy hospital. And it was the first kind of practice of its kind at, at our hospital because it uh, incorporates 
looking in at children in the schools, as well as um, establishing a big research program along with this. So it was a very exciting time. I don't think when I started that program that I actually took on the role of a leader as I should have. I thought, again, this was a, another mentor, uh, the person who is the uh, chair of our department at Mass General gave me this opportunity. And but I thought, oh, gosh, this is a great opportunity. But I didn't wear the role of being a leader like I should have. I didn't think of myself first. Um, I thought what would be, for instance, well, I guess maybe I'll put it this way. I didn't listen to the people who had the experiences that I didn't have. And I think um, I tended to identify more with those who were going to work for me instead of those who worked above me. And in some ways, that's good. And in others, it's not. And I think a true leader has to be able to incorporate both. They can't think top down. And they can't just think bottom up. They sort of have to be able to think of both. And in order to do that, you've got to be confident in both worlds. And I don't think at that time, I mean, I made some mistakes when I started the program, nothing big, but I know for myself, I made my role, my, my road a little bit more um, bumpy because I didn't think of myself as a leader. I didn't um, make use of the kinds of, of things that I, that I should have done. So what I do now a lot of times is for the people who I do mentor, I try to get them to think like a leader. So for example, I will say to them, you know, they come to me with a problem and I'll, I'll say things like, well, what would you do if you were in my shoes? What would you tell yourself? So they can sort of think about, okay, I'm looking at this problem from a, from a role of, of administration or a, in the leadership position, but how and so how would you approach that problem in your shoes sitting where you are, but then also incorporating where I am? And so I that's one way I've, I've sort of tried to learn from my mistakes and also help others who are also learning. What a brilliant question to ask the people you're mentoring, too, because I, th I think you're right. I think that's what gets in our way when we first become leaders is we don't own that we are leaders. Yes. And so we act like we're not. And that can that can be a little a little dangerous when you are the leader looking around for who's the leader. When yes, it's you. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and luckily, um, you know, like you said, you didn't make too many mistakes. I remember when I first became a leader and oh, man, I, I felt like a train wreck. I mean, not anything horrible happened, but I look back on it and go, wow, I was so young. I was so immature, but I really wasn't. The problem was. I really wasn't relating to myself like I was the leader. That's right. That's right. And people look to you to do that. And that's the thing. If, if you don't own that, um, you're, you're letting not just yourself down, but everybody who's working for you because they, they are learning from you. And it's, it's such, I think it's such an easy thing to do when, you, when you're thrust at any age in that leadership kind of position. Yes. And I, you know, and from experience too, I know some people, you know, when they first become a leader, sometimes their peers don't, you know, may pull at them a little bit, like don't become that person, you know, be one of us, yes. you know, stay. But at the same time, they want you to take the lead, right? They want you. They do. And I think you have to be aware that some people, and it's not always the, the people, you know, sometimes it's people above you, but some people will not be happy that you are in a position that you are, depending on what kind of leadership role you put in. Like some people will just never be happy that it wasn't them who got that job or what, and you have to be able to live with that and not undervalue, not cope with that by undervaluing yourself, um, which I think is an easy mistake to make. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And Ellen, would you um, would you agree that it's important in those times to see the bigger purpose of your leadership, too? I found that to be very helpful because sometimes I do even today, you know, not everyone's happy with the way, you know, you might lead or they don't right. want, you know, they don't agree with your decisions, you know, and that's going to happen. And you can have conversations, too. But you have to know the purpose behind why and how you're leading in order to um, help them feel better about what what's happening to you. Such a good point. And and seeing the big picture, I I think that's absolutely a a great point. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, Ellen, now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Oh, boy. You know, it's it's that's a a good question, because I that the, the best thing that I can think of is um, when my child, my, my oldest child, who's now 26 and, and hopefully a developing leader in her own right, when, when she entered middle school. So, you know, you can hear from my journey that I you know, sort of started a little bit late and I thought, well, this is a great thing because my kids are now I'm starting work and my kids are older. So I'm not struggling in the work field as many of my my peers were who had put off having children till later and done school first. And then my daughter entered middle school and I thought, oh my, she needs me in a different way. I wasn't planning on this. This is not where I thought my my um, my path was going. Things are not going according to plan. And I, I persevered. Uh, I worked part-time again, sort of looking at, okay, what can I do at this part in my life? And, and I, I worked part-time. I did not give up. I picked and ch- I picked the things that really meant a lot to me. So what part of my job that really meant a lot to me and kept that. And the, I, I think something to consider whether you have children or not as a woman is that your career path is much longer than you think and no decision you make is irrevocable. So you can, you can make changes. You can say, I'm going to try this for a year. And if it doesn't work out to go back to how you were. So I guess I don't, I don't know if it's, I I know at that time in my life, I was filled with self doubt that my career would ever take off. I thought, Oh my gosh, this is the best I can ever do. It wasn't that the case at all. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the times when, when I know as a woman, I just really felt like, oh, my gosh, am I, is this going to is this going to work out for me? You know, Ellen, what I'm hearing in your stories, too, what's really worked for you in your journey is your ability to adapt and just face current reality and do what you can. Oh, that's such a good point. I, I think that is exactly right. I think the ability to adapt at any stage in your career is probably you're right. It's probably one of the most important things that that we can do. Right. Because you've been up against different situations and you made all of them work by, you know, reaching out to your community, talking with your mentors and just figuring out what you could do to keep moving forward. Yes. And I think the other thing and I'm not I'm saying this, even though I I wasn't always good at this um, and I struggle with this. And I think a lot of women do that. Sometimes we have to make sure are we consciously adapting or are we adapting because it's better for someone else? And so I think it sounds in my story like, oh, my gosh, I really knew exactly what I was doing and how to adapt. But I think it's I, I think the tendency sometimes for women is to adapt according to someone else's agenda. So that's something that that um, I think we just have to be aware of. But but adaptability is so important. 
Yeah, that's huge. And what I'm hearing in that is you have to be very clear about what your values are so that you're honoring your values. Exactly. And clearly your daughter is one of the most important people in your life and she had certain needs, but you didn't put yourself completely on the back burner. You were still moving forward. Yes. And I think as as a mom, she would, you know, she would say to me that that was a wonderful role model for her, that all the time that I was struggling with those sort of decisions, she was learning. And um, my hope is that there's a whole generation of women coming after me that that actually have learned from some of our our I was going to say mistakes, but I don't think that's fair. Um, but some of you know some of the things that that we had to cope with, and so yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know it's tough because we you know there's been this rough history over the past half century of women you know re-entering the workplace again newly you know there was the re-entering after world war ii and then the re-entering again i feel like in the 60s and the 70s um and it was tough and the social conditions were different then too there were different challenges but there there have been a lot of lessons learned and so much to learn from the women who've come before yes definitely Awesome. And Ellen, what I want everyone to get is there is no one way to lead. We're all different. So we're going to lead differently. We bring different personalities and strengths to the table. So Ellen, how would you describe your leadership style? So I think I I try to hire good people and let them go and and let them do what they do best. Uh, So that's one thing that I, I rely on. I think the difficult thing is that sometimes you don't always know as a leader who is good or who isn't. And I don't even mean that in a judgmental way, but who who is able to, to be able to live with that kind of freedom. So that's sort of a, uh, to have a boss like that means that you've got to be sort of self-motivated yourself. I also think it's hard too as a leader to know what kind of, even if you have a perfect person who is working for you, that you know, do you just see tremendous potential in they may have challenges in life that they didn't expect and that will limit their progress. And so it's a great strategy if you can find good people, but even the best of people have babies, they have health issues, they, they decide that, that their job isn't um, for them maybe. They want to make a different choice in life. But it's, it's a good strategy to a point, but I think that even the best people need mentoring and that's something that's also a big part of my leadership style. I also think that I show leadership by example. And again, I'm going to you know, qualify that, that, that sometimes that's not for everyone. Sometimes people look at that and they say, well, I'm never going to be like that, so I can't then achieve my potential. So I think leading by example needs to be not that you need to be like me, but you need to see that you can develop into who you are meant to be. And so, uh, so it's, it's just something that you have to be aware of that some people are capable and don't believe in themselves. Some people aren't as capable in the job you've hired them for and need to be mentored in a different way. And, um, so, um, yeah. You know, Ellen, I've yet to meet the person who's made the perfect hire every single time. Oh, I know. It's (laughs) It's so hard. It's so hard. And sometimes the, the, most wonderful people just aren't the right person for the job. And I think, you know, in terms of this leadership style, I think it leadership cannot be inactive. And I think you always have to be learning. At least for me, it's not necessarily something that has come naturally to me. I think I'm much more 
of a, the kind of person who likes to keep reaching. And so leadership has, it, 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 you know, it, it sort of implies that you've arrived and it's hardly the case. It really is something that's a very active process. And so that's just something you've got to keep in mind if you're in a position of leadership that really you are, you are learning on the job every day too. I agree 100%. I think in leader to the the areas we're speaking of now, leadership and team development, they are not set it and forget it. Right. You know, right. if you if you are not constantly growing as a leader, you're languishing and you will quickly devolve into a not so great leader. That's right. right. Or <laughs> or leading in the wrong direction. That's right. And so I think that's that's something that, you know, when, when I said my leadership style is to hire good people and let them go, that really isn't enough that I actually that that's that's a, a nice starting point, but that I still have to be active and still be thinking about what it is they need and still learning myself. Yeah. And I think you, you, you're speaking of striking that balance between letting people have some independence so they can be creative and innovative and really shine, but also giving that support and mentoring and the guidance that they'll need on occasion because they, just like us, will bump up against challenges, have self-doubt, and will sometimes just need someone that they can bounce ideas off of. Right, exactly. So that's really important, too. All right. Now, Ellen, what is one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about and want to share with us? Well, you know, I, I, one of the things that I love to do is write. And so I've written a couple of books for parents and a couple of professional books. So I'm in the process of writing a few professional books. I'm actually writing four different books on different sorts of topics right now. Some with uh, two with two people who are uh, who I have mentored, uh, who are doing a great job. And one is a revision of a book that I published a while ago. So it, these are all exciting things. I'm also in the process of coming up with another idea for a book for parents that um, I, I'm is still sort of forming. So for me, it, I don't really have one project that I'm excited about. I'm just excited about the prospect of, of writing and, and um, being actively involved in the, in, the, in the idea of spreading ideas, basically. I love that. It sounds like you'd be bored if you weren't working in a couple of different areas and having those partnerships and collaborative projects as well. I think that's well. right. I think that's right. Writing is a passion of mine. And, and it's, it's, it's actually a hard thing to find time for that in, in our, the busy world that I live in. So, mm, Is there a book that you're most proud of? I mean, it must be hard, like picking children, but you know, well, just, but I just published a book called Bright Kids Who Can't Keep Up. And it's a book for parents about just what just what it says it is kids who are very bright, but who are having trouble keeping up in the fast paced world in which we live. So I'm, I, that came out about a year ago. And, and I am very, I actually would say that it's maybe just because it's my most recent baby. It's the one I'm most proud of, but I, but I also think there's something that resonates with people. And it's very gratifying when you write something that actually other people say, Oh my gosh, this is my child. Or I agree with you, what you're saying is that we're, we're, we're too fast paced and we're not, we're not valuing the sorts of kids in our society that have a lot to say, but maybe not as quickly as, or in the, we don't give them time to say it. So um, yeah, so that's probably what I'm most proud of right now. Yes, I think a lot of people are going to resonate and are going to want to get a copy of that book because I see it a lot too, you know, just some kids who just shy away. Yeah. They're very smart, but you know, you're right. We do live in a very fast paced, quick, 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 go, go, go kind of world. Um, and I've heard parents talk about that, how they try to pause yes. and 
see their child, not that they don't see their child, but like stop and really acknowledge and give their child an opportunity to really express themselves because, you know, and I, I know just from my nieces and nephews at certain ages, they just, they just couldn't get it out really fast. So you would have to slow yourself down and be with them. Yes. Yes. And I think in our world, that's one of the things that we're all striving for is how do we slow down? How do we, and, and, and kids, and especially kids who sort of tend toward that slower, what we call processing speed, have an awful lot to teach us about how to do that. And Mm. um, we need to kind of learn from them. Yes. And I think what's been really popular lately um, that I've been um, reading articles and books is, you know, um, being an introvert in an extroverted world. Yes, that is that, that, you know, yes, I I think that's exactly right. Yes. And it's really different, you know, and especially within our culture, I would say, um, overall, you know, it's the push, 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 get it out, say it, be charismatic, be very lively, engaging. And, you know, not everyone is like that. And it's actually been, you know, some of my introverted clients that have made me better. Yes. As a, as a coach, as a facilitator, as a trainer, because they've taught me to slow down. Yes, exactly. And wait for the response. Yes. Okay. Ellen, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice that helps to make you a better leader? I would say empathy. And I think it, it helps me because it helps me incorporate how other people are thinking and feeling and what they need. I think, it, I think it's a positive overall. And I, but I think it can also be an Achilles heel in some ways because it can be overdone. But I I think empathy is, is the thing that I rely on the most. I think it's a great practice to be, you know, dancing on that line between, you know, too much, not enough. You know, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that just to be in the, in the inquiry. Yes. Because I think I think it's different for every, every person. So what that tells me is it's not that you have one formula for empathy, like I will always have this much empathy and no much and no more no. for every person. But, no. it's, I, but I think it means like when somebody comes into your office with a request or with it to, to immediately sort of, okay, I'm going to look through this problem. I'm going to look at this problem through their eyes, at least mm-hmm. for a bit. And I think that's, that's very helpful in terms of forming a collaboration with either other leaders or people who work for you or coworkers. That's excellent. And Ellen, what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Do you know, it's so funny that you mentioned introversion. That's why I almost, I, I laughed when you were talking about that because the book that came <laughs> came to me was the book called Quiet, which is the, the oh, power yes. of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. For me, I, I am an introvert and it is tough for me to not want to sort of close my door and get some time to myself. And, and I love to write, which is a very introverted pursuit. Uh, so, but I think that there's something like you had said earlier to be gotten, even if you're an extrovert from reading about that, because we have a lot to learn from each other. So that that's the book that I, that just came to mind for myself. I love that. It's in my audible queue. So I'm going to bump it to <laughs> oh the top. Oh my gosh, you should really read it. I think you'll love it. I think you <laughs> I know I'm going to. Excellent. All right, Ellen, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say, don't worry, don't hurry, that your career path is much longer than you think it is. And it's hard to imagine that when you're starting out, you think you've got to pick the right job, pick one thing and stick with it. It's got to be the perfect decision. The choices that you make are, are going to be forever and they're not. 
And yeah. I think that you'll, you'll be able to make changes and you, you will have choices and to not be in such a hurry. Yes. I think the younger generations are better than we are yes. at realizing when they graduate from college, this is not going to be my only job. Yes. This is the first of many. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> right. And Ellen, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. So the, the, the quote that, that always comes to mind for me is, some, is, is something that I saw on a, a high school teacher's wall when I was in high school. And it said, bloom where you are planted. And it's, it's something that I, I just sort of, I feel like I've kind of lived with wherever I was, I sort of took advantage and tried to, to bloom in those opportunities that, that I had. So I think that that's something to consider is that we need wherever we are, we need to make the most of those opportunities. Um, if I had started out my journey saying I want to have the job I have right now, I, well, first of all, I couldn't have even imagined it, to be honest. Um, so I, so it, again, you're sort of like blooming where you are and taking advantage of the opportunities at the time will probably get you someplace that you never dreamed of. Mm, and that goes back to one of your strengths, which is to really assess current reality and make the most of it. Yes. And keep, keep moving forward. Yes. Love that. All right, Ellen. Lastly, what is the best way for those listening to connect with you? Um, the best place to look for me is on uh, the www.mghclaycenter.org. So it's the Clay Center's website. And there are a lot of blogs by me. Um, there's a way to get in touch with me through the center's website. Excellent. And you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com, or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. Ellen, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.